Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11 and reading through verse 16. Hear now God's Word. And He Himself, that is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And thus far, the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout church history, God's people have, have faced opposition and persecution. Sometimes that has been minor and temporary, and other times it has been severe and long. Fallen man is, is capable of incredible tyranny, cruelty, and viciousness. In fact, human history is blood-stained, or more accurately, blood-soaked. The 20th century, so far, uh, was probably the bloodiest. Perhaps the 21st may surpass it. Over 100 million died at the hands of government in wars and other atrocities. There is a raging war going on all the time, and it's ruthless and savage. It's physical, it's psychological, it's spiritual. And the things for us, and the thing for us to remember is that human nature has not changed. We have lived in relative peace and prosperity. But human nature has not changed, and given the opportunity to exercise that kind of vicious cruelty that we've seen throughout history is only waiting for the opportunity. And, and therefore, we cannot afford to be naive. On July 31st, 1987, President Ronald Reagan nominated Judge Robert Bork for Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. An all-out war against him ensued so much so that the term to bork someone came into use to describe the total destruction of someone, especially a candidate for public office, through systematic defamation and, and vilification. In one of his excellent books, that is Judge Bork, titled Slouching Toward Gomorrah, a book he wrote in 1996, nearly 25 years ago, he said this, the upshot is that American popular culture is in a free fall with the bottom not yet in sight. This is what the liberal view of human nature has brought us to. The idea that men are naturally rational, moral creatures without the need for strong external restraints has been exploded by experience. There is an eager and growing market for depravity, 
and profitable industries devoted to supplying it. Much of such resistance, much of such resistance as there is comes from people living on the moral capital accumulated by prior generations. That capital may be expected to dwindle further. Cultures do not unravel everywhere all at once unless there is vigorous counterattack, which must, I think, resort to legal as well as moral sanctions. The prospects are for a chaotic and unhappy society, followed perhaps by an authoritarian and unhappy society. The question is whether we are really content to accept that. In other words, our national prospects for the future are not looking so good, and the relative peace and ease that we've known might be coming to an end. The philosophies and ideas of the last century and a half are being bearing their full fruit. This series that I started last time called Cheated Through Philosophy, we want to look and see what are the ideas, what are the beliefs in our culture that are bearing their fruit. We need to be able to identify them and recognize them if we are to have any hope of changing them. And so they are, uh, and this fruit that we're seeing born is a bitter harvest indeed. False philosophies always cheat us. The devil promises us the moon, but he gives us hell. And so, while I'm convinced that there's been a significant portion of the Christian church that has spoken up, And that has spoken out, I am not as convinced that the general membership of those churches have been hearing and applying the Christian faith to every area of life. Do you have a clear understanding of what God's Word says about your marriage, about your family, about your children, about your money, about your work, and about every other aspect, about your worship? That is what it is to have a Christian and biblical view of the world, is to apply that to those various areas. Areas, And so I'm not as convinced that the general membership of those churches have been hearing or applying the Christian faith that way. Compromise with the world is a far more common approach, and such compromises, again, bear their own bitter fruit. As our text says, the primary work of the church and her officers is to equip the saints for the work of ministry or service, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ till we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so, in other words, it's possible to be hearers of the word and not doers, or to grow dull of hearing, or to be half-hearted doers of the word, total submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ and diligent application of his word is the standard which Jesus called for from his true disciples. So I ask you, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Or if we can put it in a more common vernacular, is he the boss of you? And he has given the church, which is his body or his bride, as the primary means, the primary means to accomplish his work on earth. Thus, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, who was 
the pastor at Ephesus, and he said this, I write so that you may know how how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. If we're going to recognize and oppose and indeed overcome false philosophies that surround us, we're going to need the truth. And the Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. It is the lighthouse in the harbor. And when the world is in a dense fog as it is now, it's that lighthouse that will provide the only safe passage. And so when people diminish or dismiss the importance of the church, they're claiming to know better than Jesus what they need. And so many have devalued the church. It's devalued by corruption within, leadership and laity. It is devalued by a lack of understanding of her importance and her place in the world and in the life of the people of God. It has been trivialized by shallowness and silliness. It's been compromised by seeking the approval of the world. It is thought of as optional by many individual Christians who can take it or leave it since they feel no real sense of obligation to the church. But the Bible teaches us that the church is the center of the world, the nursery of Christ's kingdom. It is the most important institution on earth because it is the institution of redemption. With the church and through the church, societies live and die and rise and fall. Jesus gave the church extraordinary gifts when he gave them gave the church the apostles and prophets. And we have the apostles and prophets in the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, preserved for us by the Holy Spirit, delivered to God's people. So the apostles and prophets still with us. He also gave us the ordinary gifts of evangelists or missionaries and pastors and teachers. He is the giver and we are the recipients of these essential gifts. The reason Jesus gave all these gifts to the church was in order to perfect or to mature the church. The goal is for all of us to just be grown-up Christians. Does that describe you? Or at least, does that describe the direction you're heading? Let me ask you this. Just you know, It's always good to look in the rearview mirror. How much have you grown in Christ in the past year? Is that clear? Is that evident in you? The Apostle Paul states this another way when he says in verse 14 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And then in verse 15 he states it more positively, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. We get excited about babies being born, and we should. But we're not excited if that baby doesn't start to grow properly and mature in every sense of the word. We recognize something is wrong because the goal is not just to be born. The goal is to live and mature and become an adult and be productive and do the things that life calls for. 
The same is true spiritually. And so when we, when we, when the church loses sight of this primary and essential goal, then the church becomes subject to all kinds of distractions and foolishness. An immature church, like an immature person, is just filled with problems. Defective views of the church make her dysfunctional and subject to a lot of worldly methods and goals. The COVID situation, like all crises, real and imagined, is being exploited for political purposes, which means power over other people. And I'm not saying that this is not a real virus or a real sickness, but what I am saying is that many are being tossed by bad information and manipulated and exploited because fear gets people to accept all kinds of things if only you'll take away the fear. But we will not fear. For God has willed His truth to triumph through us. This morning, I want us to focus on three main objectives of the church as clearly stated in our text. First, the equipping of the saints. Second, the work of the ministry. And third, the edifying of the body of Christ, the maturing of the body of Christ, the building up of the body of Christ. And so the offices of the church were given to accomplish these three goals. So let's begin with the first, the equipping of the saints. Let's begin with the word saint. That would be you. Every church member, every baptized member of Christ's church is a saint. Perhaps some of us have allowed the Roman Catholic misconception of a saint to influence us. But throughout the New Testament, all members of Christ's church are addressed as saints. So it would be a serious error for you to ever say something like, I'm no saint. Actually, you are. A saint is literally a holy one or one who has been set apart. That's what your baptism did. That's what being in the church does. It sets you apart. We have been set apart by Christ. We are the ecclesia. We have been called out of the world and we've been called together. We are saints. A saint is someone set apart from the world. And that's why it is important for there to be a clear demarcation between you and the world. Everyone ought to see that easily in your language and in your dress and attitude and custom and in your behavior. That ought to be obvious, not in some kind of weird way, not in some kind of flashy way that draws attention to ourselves, but in a humble and gracious and lovely way. We are no longer uh, to be like them. We've been called out. Again, the term is used throughout the Old Testament to describe mountains and buildings and vessels that were set apart for God. They were special. And you are God's special people, His peculiar people. Called out to be zealous for good works. At our house, we have special dishes. Marinelle's mother's dishes. Haviland China. They sit in a special china cabinet. They're holy. They're set apart. They don't go in the dishwasher. 
In fact, if you offer to help Marinelle wash those, she'll probably decline because she doesn't want you to feel bad if one of them were to break. And if we ever got them out, which we didn't often, but if we did, and the kids, when the kids were at home, they always asked, who's coming over? What's, what's going on? There's something special here. Well, that's what we are. We are God's special people. Set apart for a particular use. A glorious use. We are no longer profane, which means outside the temple. Peter describes us this way in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. One of the reasons so many people, a lot of our young people especially, are abandoning the church today is because they can no longer tell the difference between the church and the world. It has become so watered down that it's tasteless. And some churches who have completely compromised the Bible and its authority, I just have to say, I wouldn't go there either. What a waste of time. In Dorothy Sayers' book, Creed or Chaos, where she does an exposition of the Apostles' Creed, she says this of the Gospel Let us, in heaven's name, drag out the divine drama from under the dreadful accumulation of slipshod thinking and trashy sentiment heaped upon it, and set it on an open stage to startle the world into some sort of vigorous reaction. If the pious are the first to be shocked, so much the worse for the pious. Others will enter the kingdom of heaven before them. If all men are offended because of Christ, let them be offended. But where is the sense of their being offended at something that is not Christ and is nothing like Him? We do Him singularly little honor by watering down His personality till it could not offend a fly. Surely it is not the business of the church to adapt Christ to men, but to adapt men to Christ. It is the dogma, the doctrine that is the drama. Not beautiful phrases, not comforting sentiments, not vague aspirations to loving kindness and uplift, nor the promise of something nice after death, but the terrifying assertion that the same God who made the world lived in the world and passed through the grave and the gate of death, show that to the heathen and they may not believe it but at least they may realize that here is something that a man might be glad to believe. Now these saints, if they're going to construct this building that's being talked about in our text today, will need some tools. They're going to need to be equipped. The word equipping can also be translated perfection, or I think our equivalent would be maturing. The idea here is that something is made ready for service. I pulled out some old wood chisels a while back that were Greg Bonson's grandfather's. 
and I went to work on them to make sure they were razor sharp. A dull chisel like a dull Christian is pretty worthless and certainly useless. Sometimes we need more tools. Sometimes we need the tools we have to be repaired and tuned and sharpened. And sometimes we need our skills using those tools improved. That is the work of the church. Paul said this to the Christians in the church at Colossae, Him, that is Christ, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, mature, grown up in Christ Jesus. Second, besides equipping the saints, the work of the church is to get to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry or service. That's what the word ministry means, service. Being useful is what you are called to be. You have a place of ministry or service in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, and in the world. That is why God put you here. You are not mere spectators. When you embrace fully who you are in Christ, meaning self-denial, cross-bearing, then happiness will follow. Joy comes most often through the back door. God saved you not simply to do something for you, but to do something in you and to use you to do something for others. So one of the primary purposes for the offices of the church is equipping her members with the Word of God, which is not only able to make you wise unto salvation, but is also profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. Peter exhorts, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Jesus said, We're wise if we build on the rock of his word. Every decision you make in life, you know, every especially every important decision about who you marry, where you live, what kind of work you do, um, and we could go on and on with other things, ought to be clearly and self-consciously informed by Scripture. The Bible isn't given just to give us nice sayings to say at funerals and weddings and even at church. This is the instruction manual for life. And those who take it seriously have a different kind of life, a different kind of fruit that is born. So the same word, which is from the apostles and prophets, delivered by by missionaries, pastors, and teachers, it equips you to do what? Colossians 3, 16 and 17, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so do you see how all this ties together? What you learn here 
When you eagerly and readily receive the word, as the Bereans did, then you take that home and you start ministering, you start serving others in your family and with your neighbors, and you certainly use it to minister to one another as the needs arise. So this Bible is a remarkable book. The Holy Spirit actively applies it to each one according to our needs and in every circumstances. It does all kind of work. It warns, it convicts, it rebukes, it comforts, it encourages, it instructs, it exhorts, it admonishes, and much more. But it only does this for those who are actively listening and reading and thinking and praying Sadly, I've seen that it is possible not only to ignore the Word on any given Sunday, but to do so week after week and year after year. In fact, you can grow up in the church and essentially never hear a word because a stony heart is unreceptive. Remember that parable of the soils and the stony ground where the Word of God is sown and it falls and the birds come and take it right away? It never even sprouts. That can happen week after week after week. For everyone who listens with open ears and open hearts, God speaks to you and equips you for service or ministry to others. That's a meaningful life. That's how your life will change, how your family will change, how the world will change. God's Word speaks to the mind and the heart, and it's not just there to amuse the intellectually curious or satisfy the sentimental. God intends to equip the whole person. The word must bear fruit or else it is of no use at all. Now, third, the edifying of the body, building up the body to maturity. That's the third goal, purpose of the church. The ultimate objective of being equipped and the resulting work of the ministry is the edifying of the body of Christ. The church is far more than a preaching station and she certainly must not be a place of entertainment. Even in the first century, the Apostle Paul warned Pastor Timothy of the dangers of drifting from this central and essential mission. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. These are kind of Paul's last words before he is killed. So he's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, who is a pastor. And these, this is the last chapter of the last epistle. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it will change everything. He will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means ups and downs, whatever's going on around you. Don't be, your mission doesn't change based on whether they'll hear you or they don't hear you, whether they like you or they don't like you, whether it's popular or unpopular, you still have one job to do. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, They will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. 
C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the famous English Baptist preacher of the 19th century, said this, An evil is in the professed camp of the Lord so gross in its impudence that the most short-sighted can hardly fail to notice it. During the past few years, it has developed at an abnormal rate even for evil. It has worked like leaven until the whole lump ferments. The devil has seldom done a cleverer thing than hinting to the church that part of their mission is to provide entertainment for the people with a view to winning them. From speaking out as the Puritans did, the church has gradually toned down her testimony, then winked at and excused the frivolities of the day. Then she tolerated them in her borders, and now she has adopted them under the plea of reaching the masses. Had Christ introduced more of the bright and pleasant elements into his mission, he would have been more popular and they, and, uh, when they went left, when they went, uh, excuse me, more popular when they left because of the searching nature of his teaching. You know, I think I left a word out there. They would have been more popular, but instead, because of the searching na- nature of his teaching, they left. I do not hear him, that is Jesus, saying to his apostles or disciples, run after these people, Peter, and tell them, we will have a different style of service tomorrow, something short and attractive with a little preaching. We will have a pleasant evening for the people. Tell them they will be sure to enjoy it. Be quick, Peter. We must get the people somehow. It is an age-old problem, one that we saw in the Old Testament as well. Ezekiel 33, as for you... God speaking to Ezekiel, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them, for with their mouth they show much love, but with their hearts they pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when, it come, and when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. The mission, our mission, is to grow up. To become like Christ in the way we live. Our marriages are to be pictures of this relationship. If they're not, it's because you're immature and in need of being further equipped with the Word of God. You have to take the Bible seriously. The whole Bible, the whole church is counting on you to do your part in order for us all to be built up. We represent Christ to the world. This is what they see. They see our congregation. They see you. They see your marriage. They see your children. This is why we come apart and assemble on the first day of each week. Do you think you can do that without some serious opposition and criticism? It's going to cost you. The work of the apostles and prophets and the evangelists and pastors and teachers is the spreading and the inculcation of God's word into his people. 
And since the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry is why you're here today, and since the ultimate goal is the edifying of the body of Christ, I ask you simply, are you ready to get to work? I don't know about you. I will have something I know I need to do, and I'll put it off because I know it's going to be hard, and I know it's going to be consuming. Well, it's time. Let's stop putting off if we've been putting things off and let us get with this labor that is essential to us and essential to the world. This that we're doing today is practice. We've gathered in this little huddle for a few minutes, but it's now time to head out and do our part in the body of Christ. James summarizes it this way, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We're to no longer be children. That we should toss to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. The Christian life is not a continuation of the old life. It's not an additive. It's not an addendum. It's not just a ticket to get us to heaven. It is new life in Jesus Christ, new life that stands in stark contrast to the old life. Since it's a new life, we all start out as children, from infants to toddlers to teenagers to young adults to wise old men and women. That's the proper progression to maturity. The warning here is that we must be equipped, fed, and nourished by the church if we're not going to be children anymore because to remain as a child is dangerous. There is a reason you don't send your children out just to come and go as they please. There are some basic characteristics of children that make them susceptible to danger. And I'll wrap up here with this. First is their instability. They're tossed to and fro, carried about like a piece of driftwood in the ocean. No ability to resist the forces of nature. Children's moods shift on a whim, right? Laughing, then crying, then giggling, then changing back and forth, sometimes in a matter of minutes. Children lack self-control, and thus they're given parents to control them. They're impulsive. They want it. They want it now. They're selfish. They think everything's about them. They have difficulty at looking at things from another person's perspective. They're short-sighted. Then children also are easily misled, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Children are ignorant. They think they know way more than they do. Because they're a child, they're easily fooled. We have to warn them not to take candy from a stranger. And thus, ignorance isn't bliss, but rather danger. And this childish ignorance is as true for you and me as it is for any toddler. All it takes is a lack of knowledge, no foundation or standard by which to judge. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, though by now this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles or the word of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but with solid food belongs, belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by 
reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Let me paraphrase what this is saying. If you just are on milk when it comes to the Christian faith, you are not even able to know the difference between good and evil. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. Why do you think everybody's so woke right now? Because it sounds so good. And there's no critical analysis going on, no questions being asked. A slogan is a whole lot easier than thinking. Tossed by every wind of doctrine. We have added to the child's ignorance, when added to the child's ignorance, the fact that they also don't usually like to be taught or disciplined, uh, and they don't like to submit. The problem is compounded, and it's also common for them to think they know more than they do, and so they overestimate their ability and their knowledge. Moreover, the child is also attracted to novelty and change. The new thing gets their attention, and thus, in our immature world, fads are the rule. The old thing is just boring, and the Athenian spirit is not one of sophistication, but childishness. Acts 17.21, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And finally, what child doesn't like to be entertained all the time? The bigger the show, the better. This world is full of philosophies that want you. They're out to get you. They're happy to get you a little at a time or to wait and get your children. This is a long war against God. Henry Morris wrote in his book titled The Long War Against God, the denial of God rejecting the reality of supernatural creation and the creator's sovereign rule of the world has always been the root cause of every human problem. This evolutionary, humanistic, pantheistic, even atheistic worldview has taken many different forms over the ages varying with the time and culture, but it has always been there in one guise or another to turn the minds and the hearts of people away from their maker. There has indeed been an age-long war against God. It has been been going on from the beginning of time and will increase in intensity. If we're to make progress, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to grow up in Christ I want you to think about your life. Why are you here? What are you doing? And where are you going? To make progress in Christian maturity, you need to ask, how can you grow in your faith and knowledge of the Son of God? You can continue to wallow in immaturity, or you can get busy learning and applying God's Word. By the way, I'll just take this time to mention a book that Larry Lawless had mentioned to me, the new book by Peter Lightheart. There are a few out there on the table, and if we run out, I'll get some more. And it's a book about how to read the Bible. And it's excellent. And if you need some help, 
having a fresh look and a fresh start on how to do that, let me urge you to pick up a copy of that. As we do this together, then the whole body grows and matures, and then we will show the world Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us and for transferring us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son of your love. Thank you for purchasing the church, Lord Jesus Christ, with your own blood and for giving the church your word and faithful men to deliver it to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring the word and for applying it to us that by it we may grow. Help us to love your church and to live accordingly. Help us to mature and become more and more like Christ so that we will not be cheated by false philosophy or tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is not uncommon for me as a pastor to receive compliments about our church, which means you are being complimented because, of course, you are saints. And I've had the privilege of watching most of you grow and make progress in your maturity. But since the goal is perfection, that is Christ-likeness, we all still have work to do. And so we start again, remembering, renewing, and moving forward. As we think about this coming week, which is beginning with communion, today here on the first day of the week, communion with the triune God and with the church, what can you do to add to your maturity? Well, you can get more of God's Word into you. How can you digest the nutrition of that Word? You can meditate, you can read, you can discuss, you can pray. And having been nourished, how can you minister and serve others? Not enough just to get the Word in. Now the fruit of that Word needs to come out in how you speak to others, starting with your family and what you do, and how you help, and how you serve, and how you love. How can you add? We're about to have communion here. Remember, what we don't want to do is just come here and do it, and then go away and forget it. Now we want to take what we're about to do here, and take it to your house, and do it at your house, in re for real. Not just at a table, not just for a few minutes, but all the time. How can you add to the communion of your house? And finally, I want to urge you to look for ways to edify or build up the body of Christ. If we all do little things, prayers, conversations, labors, hospitality, letters, exhortations, we will little by little advance the work of God's eternal kingdom. We will build this spiritual house which will then be able to withstand the gates of hell. That's how we move forward. Not just move forward this week, but move forward to the next generation and the generation after that. How we march as the church militant through history for Christ's sake, expanding his kingdom. Let us come and commune together.
have every right to expect abundant fruit, and yet the crop is often meager and even the wrong kind of fruit. Let us take heed and beware, lest we be like branches that do not bear good fruit and are taken away. If we bear fruit, let us be pruned that we may bear more fruit. Let this picture of Israel as a vineyard be continually before our congregation. Let, let us tremble at the thought of displeasing you and long to bear fruit to your glory. May your people today bear much fruit and so prove to be your disciples. May the fruit of the Spirit be evidenced in our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Thank you, Jesus, the true vine, who was all that Israel failed to be. We pray now that you would bless this day of rest, that we might rejoice in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen.